Welcome to the Aurora Cornerstone Podcast. Thank you for tuning in. We hope today's message is an encouragement to you. On a Sunday morning, we are very strategic in the uh, strategy. I'm not particularly a haphazard kind of a guy. You get to know me, I'm fairly, um, uh, fairly organized. Kind of strange for the youngest in the family, wouldn't you think? Anybody here the youngest? How many are the youngest? Come on. We're not ashamed to be the youngest. And, uh, and sometimes we're accused that we're just kind of carefree, loafers, whatever. Um, I don't know. I just want to break that model that uh, sometimes the youngest get a bad rap. But when we um, gather together, I recognize three things. We're engaged in a spiritual battle. Every one of you who are followers of Jesus, you're an enemy of the flesh. And you're engaged in a spiritual battle constantly. We recognize there are three fundamental spiritual weapons that we have against the enemy. The spiritual weapon of the Word of God. Uh, I just read this morning, somebody sent this to me, read this morning, they said, we complain about, God, how come you're silent and you don't speak? And yet, we haven't opened up the Bible. It's like saying, I haven't been receiving any texts, but we haven't turned our phone on yet. I thought, that's pretty good. Complaining, I haven't received any texts. My phone's not on. God, you're not speaking to me, but I'm not an avid student of his word. Well, become an avid student of your, his word, and he'll speak to you. Uh, word of God, the word of God. We're preaching the word of God. And uh, so the word is one. The blood of Jesus is a weapon. Uh, He's defeated the enemy by the blood. And so there's times we just have to proclaim. We live under the covering of what Christ, he shed his blood for us. Now, under that covering, I have victory. Jesus is my victor. Amen? The blood of Jesus and the name of Jesus is the third weapon. Good, Mike, mark this down if you don't know. It's good, mark it down. The word of God, the more you get that into you and you speak it, Talked last week of faith. I gave you 21 scriptures last week to stimulate your faith. There's a lot of scripture. And I had one purpose. I almost backed away from it. I thought, there's not enough drama in it. I really felt the Lord saying, let my word do its work. So I gave it. And the word of God does not return void. The name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, who he is, everything he has done, his authority is complete. We have a judicial system spiritually that in the spirit realm, when we speak in the name of Jesus as a follower of Jesus, legally, he's granted us rights. The name of Jesus, the blood of Jesus, the word of God. And it's released through four launch pads. I call the spiritual weapons like missiles. Four launch pads release the spiritual weapons The launch pads, we were doing a launch pad this morning. Daniel was doing it. Everyone in the worship team was doing it. You were doing it. It's the launch pad of praise. You release. We were releasing the word and the name through praise this morning. They may not have understood. Blowing off through praise. When we were praising God, exalting him, we were releasing releasing the weapons. Praise. Preaching. Preaching is another launch pad. I'm, I'm launching the word this morning. I'm launching it. Prayer, when we meet and pray and agree together, that's another launch pad. We launch one of those three weapons or all of them. And the fourth one 
is the testimony. When you testify, when you testify to the goodness of God, you release one of those three weapons. You testify. That's what I'm going to do today. I'm preaching. That's one, is launching the word, but I'm also testifying. I'm going to share a bunch of testimonies because the purpose of the testimonies are to strengthen your faith with the word. And so uh, that's the purpose of today. So there's going to be a number of testimonies. I have been just embarking on a season of studying revivals. I have just finished, as of yesterday, reading 24 revivalists. Just finished my 24th since Christmas. Doable, almost one a day. And, uh, uh, and I want to talk about God's faithfulness in this. And so the message title is Refiner's Fire. Our text is found in Matthew chapter 6. Again, we welcome those who are joining us live stream, our church family online. So Matthew chapter 3, John the Baptist is speaking, and he says this in verse 11. He says, I baptize you with water for repentance, but after me comes one who is more powerful than I am, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. Now here's the phrase I want you to grab. He, Jesus, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Can you say that part together with me? He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Let's do it one more time. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. It was in the year 1812. Adoram Judson led the first team of missionaries sent out overseas from America. He had been raised in a godly home. His father was a minister. But when he entered college, he became friends with a young skeptic named Jacob Ames. And Ames won Judson's heart and mind. Soon Judson's own faith was shaken. And when he returned home, in spite of his father's theological reasonings and his mother's tearful pleadings, he turned his back on God. He went to New York seeking fame and fortune as an actor. His hopes were quickly dashed. The world did not live up to his expectations. Soon he became discouraged. He decided to travel back to his family, although still distant from God and intellectually hardened to the gospel. But, praise God, the Spirit of the Lord was working on him and working on him and working on him, breaking down his hardened resistance. Then came the fateful night that changed Judson's course forever. He checked into an obscure little inn he had never seen before. The only bed available at the inn was a room next to that of a gravely ill young man. All night long, Judson heard this man struggling for his life his parents by his side. In the morning, Judson noticed that something seemed wrong. And so he asked the innkeeper about the young man that was in the adjoining room. The innkeeper was sorry to share the news. The young man had died. To be polite, Judson asked, well, what was his name? Well, wouldn't you know it? Jacob Ames. His old friend, Jacob Ames. It stunned Judson. 
Only one thought dominated Judson's mind as he rode the many miles back to his home. The thought was lost. Lost. Jacob Ames is forever lost. The reality had taken hold of these two young men. Gifted young men. For Ames, the reality now is too late. The reality of heaven and hell was too late for him now. The reality of heaven and hell, though, was just beginning for Judson. The reality of what he now faced. Judson humbled himself, and with the help of some godly professors, he renewed his commitment to the Lord, giving his life, now not just for himself, but for the people of Burma. His first and second wives died in the rugged mission field of Burma. Along with his first three children died in the mission field of Burma. And Judson himself would suffer incredible hardship and torturous imprisonment. But in light of eternity, it made perfect sense to him to give himself his heart, soul, body, and strength, life and limb to win the lost and the dying. It was the only reasonable thing he could do. So few people are moved deeply with lost souls anymore. I'm going to say that again. So few people are moved to the core that souls are dying, lost. Three doors down to the south of this property is a funeral home. I'm on their list and get called on occasion when they don't have a minister, frequently those, actually everyone that I've buried or did the funeral, have not known Christ. It's one of the hardest things to do. It's too late for them, but I recognize it's not too, too late for every person sitting there. And funerals, almost sadistically, have become one of my favorite moments, one of my most favorite things in ministry. Because people, for maybe the first time, are looking at the reality of something we spend all our lives avoiding. One day we too will die. Yeah, it sounds morbid, but it's real. One day we too will. Best thing I can do is be prepared. If the end of all things is death, we are to be pitied. But if the end of all things is eternal life offered to us, we are to rejoice. Somebody has to grieve over the lost who go before us. This was the reality of the story. I guess it brings me to a couple of questions. A couple of questions. I mean, when we come and we are moved, are we moved, first of all, for souls? In our 21st century mindset, I have discovered the sports world seems so real. The sports world has so much advertisement time. Netflix seems so real today. YouTube seems so real. Money and the accumulation of money seems so real. Earthly pleasures have never seemed more real. But heaven and hell, does that seem real anymore? Do you see the, the, the scary? Perishing of souls, is that real? Final judgment as we stand before our heavenly Father, is that going to be real? And again, these two questions come down. How much do you think God wants you? Not loves you. I didn't ask that. How much do you think God wants you? 
And I'm going to suggest the answer according to his word is he gave you his very own son for you. That ought to answer the question. How much of you then have you given back to God? Does he own all of you? Does he own a part of you? A little bit here, a little bit there? God is not primarily interested in what you can do for him. He's not interested in your time. He's not interested in your money. He wants you. He wants you. God's revival presence is in the air here. It's been in the air here in increased measure in the last few weeks here at Cornerstone. It's time to believe. Now is the hour to reignite your heart's passion. What are you waiting for? You waiting for something? Seek him with all your heart. Seek him with all your strength. Seek him with all your mind. Seek him with all your soul. Not apart. Not occasionally. Cry out to your Savior. He awaits your call. Now is the time for your spiritual investment to come to maturity. That which you long for is knocking at your door. Do you hear it? Do you hear it? Tell him that you want nothing less than all of him. Ask him to take all of you and then do it. You are praying when you do that, an irresistible prayer, and it will bring you undeniable results. Don't stop until the answers begin to come. The Lord is at the door knocking. There's a song that the song words just flood our souls. Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. Come, flood my heart and fill the atmosphere. Your glory, God, is what our hearts long for. To be overcome by your presence, Lord. Can you ask for anything less? In times of revival, the Holy Spirit will move deeply and widely, supernaturally and powerfully. He goes into homes. He moves into our schools. He moves into our places of business. And he moves into the places of sin. And brings the sense of the reality of God. He will bring conviction. The psalmist in the time of revival wrote these impenetrable words. 139 verse 7. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me. Oh, but even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. Revival. Once some visitors were asking for directions to a revival meeting. They had heard about it. God was moving in power. They were asking directions. The revival was in a certain place taking place in Wales. They were told to take the train to such and such a place and get out there. They asked, well, how will we know where the there is? And the person said, oh, you'll feel it. And they did. 
They got off the train. They asked for further directions. They were told to walk to a certain place and turn there. Again, they asked, how will we know where to turn? The answer again, oh, you'll, you'll feel it. And they did. That holy presence is not geographically limited. Arthur Willis or Arthur Wallace documented in his book, The Day of Thy Power. He began to talk about when revival in the mid-1800s in the United States began to flow out of the Boston area and flow out around in the region, began to move west and culminate in the Cane Ridge revivals of the late 1800s where God in Kentucky began to pour out his spirits and tens of thousands of people began to gather into the fields taking up three to four blocks worth for their horses and carriages. And they rolled around. They would have seven messages going on at the same time to accumulate the crowds that rolled in. God was doing an amazing thing that took place for a number of years. Just been reading about some of it. But as the ships drew near the American ports during this time, and they came within a defined zone of heavenly influence, they tell, ship after ship arrived, with the tale of sudden conviction as they got close to the shores. One ship captain, an entire crew of 30 men, found Christ out at sea and entered the harbor, having rejoiced in their salvation. Revival broke out in a battleship, North Carolina. Four Christian men who had been meeting in the bowels of the ship had been in prayer for their voyage. One evening, they were so filled with the Holy Spirit, they burst into song Ungodly shipmates who came down to mock were gripped by the power of God. And the laugh of the scornful was soon changed into the cry of the penitent. And many were smitten down and the gracious work broke out that continued all night long till they had to send ashore for ministers to come aboard the ship to minister to them. The battleship became the Bethel ship. <laughs> Then there's the story I heard of the man who witnessed to his unsaved friend praying for his dear unsaved friend. He, his heart was broken for his lost soul, prayed for him for years. One day, that friend came over to borrow a tool. No one was home. So he went to the tool shed to find what he was looking for when suddenly he detests, he, he declares later, he says, the presence of God overtook me. He was convicted of his sins. He broke down, putting his faith in Jesus at that very moment in an empty tool shed. When he told his Christian friend what had happened to him, he found out the simple explanation that that Christian faithful believer had prayed with tears for the salvation of him for years. And that place of intercession was in that shed. The Holy Spirit was there. Now, Multiply these stories. Multiply them by hundreds. Multiply them by thousands. Take them through the towns. Take them through the cities. Take them across this nation and around the world. And you begin to get a picture of God's glorious revivals. Why can't we believe God for similar outpourings today? Why not ask God for the real thing and not simply somebody else's story? Smith Wigglesworth, a person who was known as an evangelist who came to Christ in his late 40s, who was a plumber, who God used and raised up. His only book was the Bible that he would read, declared nothing else mattered. And yet God moved in his meetings 
people who were blind and deaf, lame, were set free. He was known to have multiple accounts of people who had been dead for days rise up and walk. It was 1922, Smith Wigglesworth was ministering in Wellington, New Zealand. He called for a special prayer meeting with a group of 11 spiritual leaders. After each of them had prayed, Wigglesworth rose to seek his Lord. And the presence of God began to fill the room. Soon the glory of God became terrible. I love the language of old time. Soon the the presence of God, the glory of God became terrible. The light became too bright. The heat too intense. The other men couldn't take it any longer. Every one of them left the room. Only Wigglesworth could continue in the midst of God's Shekinah glory. Another minister heard what had happened and determined at the next meeting, no matter how strong the presence of God became, he would stay until the end. Once again, the scene repeated itself. Wigglesworth began to pray. The holy presence of God filled the room. The glory became unbearable. Everyone left except that one leader. He would not be overcome. He would not be driven out by the presence of the Lord. But it was too much. Wigglesworth was caught up in the spirit, radiant with holy fire. And even the determined minister couldn't stand the intensity. And soon enough, He was gone too. It's the presence of God when he comes in revival. Listen, beloved, as long as we have in this nation and in our area those who openly antagonize us towards Jesus, who march brazenly down our streets and serve in leading positions in our government, as long as we value our convenience over the lives of the unborn or the senior infirmed, as long as the porn industry thrives, as long as the jails have too many prisoners and the mission fields have too many labor or too few laborers, as long as greed and materialism rule this world, as long as humanists, New Agers, atheists dominate our colleges, university faculties, as long as they take over our high schools and our public schools, as long as these things are at the forefront of our society, we are not experiencing revival. Sweeping revival across Canada would spell upheaval, absolute upheaval. Wow. Title today, Refiner's Fire. On Wednesday nights here in the cafe, we've been studying the book of Acts. The first, when fire fell. During revival, the preaching of the word was central. Remember, revival is a supernatural work of the Holy Spirit. It's a supernatural work. Do you hunger for revival? Here's the question. How much do you hunger for revival? William Booth, the founder of the Salvation Army, In the late 1800s, he wrote a hymn, written many hymns. The hymn goes something like this. Thou Christ of burning, cleansing flame, send the fire. Thy blood-bought gift today we claim, send the fire. Look down and see this waiting host. Give us the promised Holy Ghost. We want another Pentecost. Send the fire. This fire we want for fire we plead, send the fire. 
The fire will meet our every need. Send the fire for strength to ever do what's right, for grace to conquer in the fight, for power to walk the world in white. Send the fire. Wow, you wouldn't think that was written so long ago, would you? God, send the fire. You know, God's refiner fire, I just put down three things. It will accomplish three things in your life. First of all, the fire of the Lord will devour his enemies. Our enemies need, the enemy of the Lord needs devouring who is attacking. Psalms 97.3, fire goes out before him and consumes his foes on every side. That's what fire will do. It will devour his enemies. Secondly, the fire of God inflames the believer's heart for zeal for Jesus. Hmm. Are you lukewarm? Is the passion gone? Does your heart trepidate when you think of spending a few moments with Jesus? Does your heart get excited about listening to worship? Maybe come a little early to the meeting to spend some time in prayer. Or do you avoid it? Are other things more exciting? Is the heart stirred with zeal for Jesus? Revelation 3.18, I counsel you to buy from me Gold refined in the fire so you can become rich. White clothes to wear so you can cover your shameful nakedness and salve to put on your eyes so you can see. Second thing is fire will inflame your heart for Jesus. Third thing is fire will purge and prove our works. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 12. If any man builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, maybe wood, hay, or straw. His work will be shown for what it is because the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire and the fire will testify the quality of each person's work. If what you have built survives, you'll receive your reward. But if it is burned up, you will suffer loss. He himself will be saved, but only as one who escapes through the flames. Fire will prove our works. Three things. What fire will accomplish, it will devour the works of the enemy of the cross. It will put zeal in your heart for Jesus and it will prove how well you're doing. The fire. Of everything, all our works goes through this fire. We all go through it. Matthew 3, we come back to our text. Jesus will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. You see, the Holy Spirit, John says, I baptize you in the Holy Spirit to repentance. You come to Jesus. We testify in that in the waters of baptism. But there is he who baptizes you with fire. That's what Jesus does with fire. The servant of the Lord, you know, the servant of God is highly flammable. Some things in this world are combustible, some are not. Dry wood burns well. Water does not. It's the same with electricity. Some things are good conductors, others are not. High voltage wires carry quick and carry the shock effectively. Thick rubber will stop the watts in their track. I'm going to suggest likewise in the spirit. Why does the spirit not fall? Because we're not very good conductors of it. You know what makes a good conductor for his spirit to set you on fire? Three things. Number one, a hungry soul. A hungry soul makes whatever preparations necessary to become a readied altar for him to light the fire. I prepare the altar of my heart. 
of the fire of the Lord. It takes work. It takes preparation. It doesn't just fall. A hungry soul will be conducive for the fire. A pure heart is easily ignited. You have unbelief. That's why last week I spent the whole day talking on faith. You have unbelief. You struggle in knowing that Jesus is Lord. You've been like Judson. You've been around so much that has stolen your faith. Unbelief and sin. Sin known and sin unknown will quickly quench the flames. And we go from lukewarm. You never stay at lukewarm. Lukewarm turns to cold. That's why a pure heart is what I long for. A hungry soul, a pure heart, and a holy life will transmit the spirit's jolt. The flesh, if you live by the flesh, if you live by the lusts of the flesh, if you live by your desires, what you want, it will put out the fire. Fire cannot catch. So what about you? What is your spiritual composition? That's really it today, isn't it? What is your spiritual composition? Missionary Amy Carmichael had prayed, make me thy fuel, flame of God. Hmm. Jim Elliot, martyred by the Aka Indians, he expanded. He said, God makes his ministers a flame of fire. Am I ignitable? God deliver me from the dread asbestos of other things. I'm going to say that again. God deliver me from the dread asbestos of other things. Saturate me with the oil of thy spirit that I may be a flame. Make me thy fuel flame of God. Are you combustible? Smith Wigglesworth explained, Oh, if God had his way, we should be torches purifying the very atmosphere wherever we go, moving back the forces of wickedness. I had a youth pastor. He came to me and he asked me straight out this question. Are you ready for the youth to come back? <laughs> Are you ready for the youth to come back? You see, he had just returned from one week at a youth camp meeting down at Christ for the Nations Institute in Dallas. He took with him eight of my youth. They had been down there for eight days. This was the first time him and I met when he came back. And that was his question. Are you ready for the youth to come back? I thought, a silly question. But God had lit a fire in those eight youth. I mean, he lit a fire in those eight youth. I was unprepared for those eight youth coming back from eight days having been caught on fire. Every last one of the eight, not one of them a miss. For that Sunday, we had finished our evening service, our normal Sunday night service. The youth were having their normal service. We knew that they always get pizza. They had pizza. They were probably enjoying their pizza. But they were taking a long time to join us, these youth. We went to see what was taking them. Maybe we could get a piece or two of pizza. To see that on the table, the pizza lay open and untouched. The kids were huddled together and they were praying. And you could hear them through their closed doors. And their prayer was this, God, send the fire. <laughs> youth were praying, God, send the fire. 
And they were praying for us. They were praying, God, set our parents on fire. And then I heard them pray, God, set our pastor on fire. (gasps) Set our pastor. They meant it. Set our pastor on fire. Oh, my goodness. They could hardly wait to get their hands on me. And they got their hands on me. And they prayed, and they shook me, and they prayed in the spirit, and they prayed in the understanding. They prophesied, and they prayed, and they wouldn't quit, and they wouldn't quit. And the spirit of God began to do something in our church. That last, and I thought, give it two or three weeks. Isn't that what usually happens? The revival of two or three weeks. God does something great. Three weeks later, it's like it never happened. What is it about the two or three week barrier? No, it went on to months. These kids were going and they were impacting their classes. They were impacting our church. We were never the same. They were impacting their town. Their families were impacted. Right at the beginning of this, I had a prophet come to the church, an evangelist. And he spoke and his words were this. His words were, a light was coming from a particular direction to this church. The church's name was actually called Christian Revival Center. But the revival fire had been out for a while. It's called Lucan Christian Revival Center. But the the fire had been out. I mean, not totally. There were embers. It wasn't like totally gone. We were still followers of Jesus. We still did the work of the ministry. But all the flames had long ceased. Until a bunch of kids came back and didn't know better. Lit on fire by the presence of God. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 9, it says, For our God is a consuming fire, and he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Consuming fire. We sang the song, There must be more than this. Would you agree with that? Anybody want to say amen? There must be more than this. There must be more than this. O breath of God, come breathe within There must be more than this. Spirit of God, we wait for you. Fill us anew, we pray. Fill us anew, we pray. The chorus is consuming fire. Fan into flame. A passion for your name. Spirit of God, would you fall in this place? Lord, have your way. Lord, have your way. I've just finished reading again the story of some of you know Tommy Tenney. He was at a service where there was something happening. There were some people who believed for the fire. And the pastor says, there's, there's something going on. Tommy was the evangelist. Tommy says, yes, there is, and I don't know what it is. But they were in the presence. There was something astir. They hungered for God to pour out a spirit, but what would it look like? Tommy says, what he did was the best thing he had ever done. He, he says, let's just worship the Lord. And so they continued to worship and He went to the back of the room. Some of you heard the story? He went to the back of the room so he could watch. He stood by the soundboard. He just watched. The pastor approached the pulpit. It was one of those great, you know those big old pulpits that were big oak trees up there? (laughs) They're huge. And just as he began to approach the pulpit, he said it was like there was a storm. They went back later. They checked. There was no storm. There was no lightning. The skies were clear that morning. He said there was a bang, and the pulpit split, and it threw the poor pastor. Now, I'm just praying, God, don't do it. Save my tablet. But it threw the pastor back, 
Three hours later, the ushers carried him to his office where all he did was speak in tongues. They finally took him home at the end of the day, took him another day to recover. And they didn't have to advertise anything from there on in. Their service went on. The next service, the people couldn't get in. They had double services. They came to the place and they were falling at the door. It's like, what's going on in there? And then something's happening. And it would protract into weeks. Every day, weeks, people began to say, that's, that's God. And their hearts were stirred, consuming fire, fan into flame, a passion for your name. Spirit of God, would you fall in this place? Lord, have your way. Hmm. Would you say that with me? Lord, have your way. Lord, have your way with us. Thanks for listening to the Aurora Cornerstone podcast. Remember to subscribe. For more information about our church and our ministries, visit auroracornerstone.ca.